Bibles would turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 16. An English proverb says, Consider well who you are, where you came from, what you do, and where you are going. First two considerations are easily answered both Israel and Judah and the fact that we are, you know, uh, for both nations who would have said we are God's chosen people, descendants of our father Abraham. It is interesting what we are seeing today in our last few weeks with respect to Israel. Israel and Hamas and Palestine. And uh, we are seeing a tremendous, tremendous battle uh, rage with many lives being lost on both sides of the battle. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today really is reminiscent of what is going on. And uh, if you look at the political leaders... Uh, of Israel and their mentality towards God, uh, they do not want the God of the Bible. Uh, They want the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they think, but they, they have rejected the Messiah, and they've rejected Jesus Christ, and they do not want Christians to proselytize there. Uh, and uh, we are finding a nation that really has their own set way of doing things. And um, I've heard several statements by some of the politicians and, uh, you know, believing as they are God's people uh, that there are certain privileges and rights. Now, there are promises that are still outstanding for Israel, but God will uh, repay wickedness with judgment. And uh, King Ahaz of Judah didn't follow the example here in our passage of uh, 1 Kings 16. We'll look at it here shortly. Uh, But he didn't follow the example of David. And uh, Hosea, the king of Israel, also would imitate the actions of Jeroboam. Uh, They were free. Each of us are free to make our own decisions. We're free to choose to sin or not sin. But we are not free to select or change the consequences of our decisions. You can't want, you can choose the sin, but you can't choose the consequences, essentially. And, uh, you know, and what happened is what God's going to be saying to the people here is you are plunging headlong into destruction. You're plunging headlong uh, into tremendous judgment and ruin. Who would have ever thought? And and Israel is quite uh, baffled today by the surprise attack. How could they uh, be caught in such a vulnerable position with all of the technology that they had? Well, there's a very, the truth is they need to repent, just as we, uh, our nation needs to repent. Our nation needs to come back to, our nation needs to come to Christ and and repent of the wickedness of this nation. Uh, Israel needs to repent of the rejection of the Messiah and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. If we look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, Let's look at the first few verses. We'll look at the first nine verses here in 2 Kings 16. Uh, If you have your place there in the Bible, we'll also find ourselves going back and forth between 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28, just for your reference. So I will reference several of those as well. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire, 
according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. Now, every time, when I read that, making your child pass through the fire, I don't know what parent, uh, in their right mind, uh, idolatry sears your mind to believe things that are wholly false. So you're believing doctrines of devils and demons. But to take your child and sacrifice them on the altar, uh, what a horrific, horrific act. And uh, verse 4, and he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remali, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Eleth to Syria and drave the Jews from Eleth. And the Syrians came to Eleth and dwelt there into this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria, out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Rezin. Now, instead of discovering and doing the will of God, Ahaz imitated the, the very wicked kings that before him. Ahaz is attacked by Israel and Syria. Syria and Israel, they make an alliance. Uh, and uh, remember, Sir when I'm talking about Israel, I'm talking about the northern kingdoms, the ten tribes, okay? I'm not talking about Judah and Benjamin. So when I use uh, Israel here, it is the northern kingdom. So the northern kingdom, Israel, is against, is with Syria. They ally. They want Judah to join them. They say no. And then they come against him because he's not willing to go along with their plans. He would adopt horrible, wicked practices. I mean, a child sacrificing his own son. What a horrible, horrible thing. And people do a lot of foolish things uh, as, as people come into addictions of all different sites, which addictions really is idolatry. And uh, you begin to think in a very distorted reality. Uh, and you, you're not thinking straight. And uh, any parent who, you know, they love their children, but a parent that could love their children and sacrifice their, their son or daughter uh, on some altar is definitely believing the lies of Satan and uh, burning these children here. And each Jewish son was to be redeemed by a sacrifice and belong to the Lord. The Jewish son did. And Numbers chapter 18 tells us this. But how could a son who belonged to God, to whom you'd given an altar or given a sacrifice for your son, how could that very son who had been dedicated to God now be sacrificed to an idol? What would make a parent to compromise so much in their religious, and, uh, their religious practices? And we find something amazing here. The political compromise is that uh, Pekah, the king of Israel, and Rezin, king of Syria, they're uniting together, uh, and, and they're trying to oppose Assyria. So Assyria is against Syria. And these two warring nations are against each other. And uh, Ahab, uh, Ahaz refused uh, because he was pro-Assyrian. Well, so now Syria and Israel are coming together. They don't like Ahaz, Judah's king, because Judah's king is pro-Assyria. And they said, well, let's get rid of Ahaz. We'll put in our own puppet king that will do what we want, and then we'll have all three nations together, and we will squash Assyria. Well, so they, they attack. 
Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 5 through 8. 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 5 through 8. And it is amazing that, I mean, as you think about it today with Palestine and, and these Arabs that are there, they are allied with Iran and uh, Persia, that very kingdom that used to be. And uh, nevertheless, they're allied together. Uh, there's some, you now have Syria, you have Lebanon, all allying together against the nation of Israel altogether uh, at present. Well, it's not working. What is, is Israel doing? Do we find, it, I mean, there's a lot of discussion today for Christians to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we should. But at the same time, the peace, there's no true peace going to come uh, unless Israel gets on their knees, on their faces before God, and starts to repent of their wickedness. You find an agenda there in Israel today uh, of mass perversion. The whole LGBTQ plus uh, alphabet is all present there uh, in the nation of Israel today. Now, I, I'm not... Uh, it's, just, it's a nation that has, uh, uh, Israel has adopted so many different philosophies of the world. Uh, we, you know, we find them wanting to have this third temple and all these sacrifices, but one thing we do not notice ever in the news by the nation's rulers of present-day Israel is a call to fasting and repentance. You don't find that there in the nation today. You don't find that in our nation when, when catastrophe happens. Very little do we ever hear of, of even a provincial ruler or a city ruler or any type of ruler calling the people to fast and pray and get right with God. We just don't see it. Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 5 through 8, Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of uh, the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away. Let's look at uh, verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of king of Israel, and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burned incense in the high places on the hills and under every green tree. Uh, and then it says, Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him to the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him, and carried away a great multitude of them captives, and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. Rebekah the son of Remaliah slew in Judah, and hundred and twenty thousand one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So, the Lord brings these two kings against Judah to punish them. One of the sins of Ahaz was, sons of Ahaz was killed. Two key officers of his state. Invading armies would kill thousands of soldiers, take thousands of prisoners. And it looked like Israel was going to swallow up Judah. And the Lord raises up a prophet. We'll read on here. And, uh, and verse 6, uh, For Pekah the son of Remaliah slew in Judah 120,000 one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew uh, Maasiah, the king's son, and Azrakam, the governor of the house, and Elkanah that was next to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and took also away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded, and he went out before the host that came to Samaria and said unto them, Behold, 
Because the Lord God of your fathers was wroth with Judah, he hath delivered them into your hand, and ye have slain them in a rage that reacheth up into heaven. And now ye purpose to keep under the children of Judah and Jerusalem for both bond, for bondmen and bondwomen unto you. But are there not with you, even with you, sins against the Lord your God? Now hear me therefore and deliver the captives again, which ye have taken captive of your brethren. For the fierce, fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. And certain of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Jehanan, Berechiah, the son of uh, Meshalamah, and Jehizekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hada, uh, Hadlai, stood up against them that came from the war, and said unto them, Ye shall not bring in the captives hither, for as we have offended against the Lord already, ye intend to add more to our sins and to our trespass. For our trespass is great, and there is fear thrass against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the congregation. God is angry at Israel. Yes, he allowed Israel to judge Judah. He allowed a tremendous victory on the part of Syria and Israel. And they planned to make slaves of these of Judah, which would be Judah and Benjamin. But, and they showed no fear of the Lord. I mean, they were just relentless against them. But Oded's message now comes to leaders in Israel, and something amazing happens. Now, remember that the king of Israel is a wicked man. He doesn't love God. I mean, he has totally defied the very laws of God and made a pact or a covenant, a league with Syria. So now here's this thing. I mean, it's the same way today. You know, uh, uh, Israel has a league with the nation of uh, the United States as, and Canada, and there's others, but as allies, it has some nations that really don't, aren't going the same direction. And now Israel is, is going very worldly anyways. But uh, we find them continually seeking for allies, not seeking for the heart of God. That's a, very, that's a very important point that, that we see here. And uh, these Israelites, though, they get this message. The leaders, I mean, they, these leaders, they get this message. They have more discernment than the king of Israel does. But they realize, hey, God's wrath is against us. We are in trouble. And so just like what happened in the Ninevites and the king of Nineveh and all of those who heard the message of Jonah, they repented in sackcloth and ashes and, and said, oh God, please spare us. And, and, and that's exactly what Israel does. I mean, they're like, whoa, we've done wrong. And so let's feed the Ju those of Judah. Let's do right. And the prisoners and the spoils, and, and they, t they go back to Judah. God releases them. A remarkable event carries on another message. In Judah, the time would come when the Babylonians would invade and take thousands of captives away to Babylon. This is kind of, if you think about, God always gives warnings. God gives warnings to a nation. There might be a catastrophe. Some lives are lost. Because he wants that nation to turn him to him. And this was a dress rehearsal for really the ultimate captivity that would come upon both Israel and Judah. Because Judah and Israel would be taken as prisoners to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Well, and we find, and potentially what's going on even in the Middle East and in Israel today could very well be a dress rehearsal for the carnage that will be coming during the tribulation period. Most of the Jewish captives would die in Babylon, and after 70 years, only a feeble remnant, a very weak remnant would remain. 
Does God still judge and chasten nations today? And I say absolutely God does. God still is the same as the God of this Bible. He doesn't change. So we've got, sometimes we disconnect or we put the God of the Bible in one category, in one type of box, and we put present-day circumstances uh, in a different. And, and I've heard people say, we can't, you know, we can't say that God has used this natural calamity as a judgment upon a nation. We can't say that, but we can say uh, that God does use natural calamities as judgment. And it very well could be. I, I mean, I'm not a, a judge of God. Uh, I'm not, but the Bible tells us that God judges nations. So if a particular catastrophe happens upon this nation or in the United States or somewhere else, it could very well be you look at the spiritual atmosphere of that place and you're like, are they going towards God or away from God? And if they're going away from God, it could, it's most likely that it's judgment. It's not because they're going against anything that I'm saying or you're saying. It's because they're going against the very God who created them, the God who wants to use the calamities instead of getting to harden their hearts, to humble their hearts, and bow in repentance. The Gentile nations that have no covenant relationship with God we don't have that here in this country. We don't have a covenant relationship with God to have a promised land. I mean, it's amazing of all the land, of all the earth, such a tiny piece of land today is still a major battleground. It doesn't make sense. I mean, there are vast swaths of land here in Canada. All in other countries of the world, there's large wildernesses. Why could a nation not be set up there? And yet a tiny piece of land... That God knows, in Amos chapter 1 and 2, God knows the sins of the Gentile nations. He holds them accountable. He never gave God's law to the Gentiles. It is through the Israelites and through the Jewish nation that we have our Old Testament today. They preserved it for us, and I'm thankful for that. And the disobedient Gentiles are guilty before the Lord. I'd like you to look with me into Psalm 147. Psalm 147. You see, when we begin to think biblically about what is occurring in our day, I have to say there's several things that occur in our minds and our hearts. Number one, it produces a peace because I realize that it's not just some random occurrence. That I realize that God is still in control. I, and additionally, I understand that there are consequences for a nation and people that reject Jesus Christ. That reject having the fellowship. And, and, and 1 John really talks about having fellowship with him. Don't walk in darkness, walk in the light. In Psalm 147, verse 19, He showeth His word unto Jacob, His statutes and His judgment unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation as, as for His judgments. They have not known them. Praise you the Lord. And then um, uh, Romans chapter 2, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. And as we find, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and God, in fact, the Gentile nations in and around Canaan were judged as Israel would come in and displace them and kill them and remove them. 
And uh, the Jews knew the true and living God. They had the temp- Jew, the Jews and the Hebrew people, they had the law, they had the prophets, they, uh, they had the Messiah come from them. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, their you know, uh, righteousness exalted the nation, or Psalm 33 tell, tells us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And there is a tremendous responsibility and accountability. You are more accountable and more responsible for doing right because you have truth. You are in the light. You are in, uh, you are, you're in the services. You're hearing God's word preached. Uh, you're in the word of God reading it. You are more accountable and more responsible to God. With more truth given comes greater responsibility. Just as a, uh, a parent, that, you know, when you're young and you're kind of going out and about and doing your own thing, it's one thing. But now when you have children behind you, your actions have a great your actions have responsibility and implications not only upon yourself but also upon your children and succeeding generations. So the the more you have, the greater your responsibility. And we find here in Israel and Syria and even Judah as Israel and Syria come together to attack Judah, uh, God also would bring the Edomites against, uh, you know, and the Philistines against Jerusalem. I mean, it was like one thing after another with Ahaz. God just bringing attack after attack after attack. And I think that's exactly what we see today in the, in, in the current state of Israel. I mean, there's constant warnings about uh, mortar attacks and rockets and the whole Iron Dome that they have. This whole system where they fire all of these rockets and things and then the Iron Dome fires other rockets to hit these rockets and blow them up in the air so they don't damage and hurt uh, uh, civilians down below. But I mean, it is continually the very, I mean, it's a nation that is on edge. It's a nation that is in opposition of God. Thus we are as well, and we ought to take much learning from this in, in, in our own nation. We ought to repent because we are not in uh, the land that God promised. Now, as Christians, we will one day be, we, we are grafted into the promises of Abraham. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But to encourage the king of Assyria even more in this passage of Scripture as Ahaz is under attack, we would think, and, and, I, and, and I, this is so reminiscent of my life and our lives, that when catastrophe happens, and something uh, imminent, some great tragedy or something uh, that impacts one of our loved ones and we are broken. One of the last things that is many times the inclination or the action of a believer is to start with the first thing of asking God for help. We are trying to solve our, our problems in our own power, our own wisdom, and instead failing to just ask God for help. Ahaz, when Israel and Syria come against them, he's reprieved, he gets, you know, his people go back. He then joins up with Assyria and he takes what belongs to God there in the temple and he gives it to Assyria. 
Ahaz was delivered from Judah and Syria by the hand of God. And then he takes them from being under God's hand to being under Assyria's hand. He made them really a vassal nation or a servant to Assyria by all the taxing and the taxation and all the, the, the goods from the temple that he gives to Assyria. Ahaz had no faith. His faith was compromised. It is likened as an individual, and I find it in Christianity today, individuals may have certain things arise in their lives, that may be financial obligations, and they said, I can no longer go to church because I have some obligations that I need to fulfill to pay these financial debts, if you would, and I can't go to church. You're trusting in that money to solve the problem and your own power and ability rather than saying, God, I'm going to be faithful to you first. I'm just going to let you help me out. We resort to tactics and methods wherein God is second place or last place. And as you go here further, you come, like King Uzziah had tried to meddle in the ministry. Remember, King Uzziah wanted to become a priest, and God smote him with leprosy. King Ahaz begins to mock and mimic the actions of the pagans of Assyria. He would end up devoting, let's read a little further here, Verse 10 of 2 Kings 16, And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it against King Ahaz, came from uh, Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and offered thereon. And he burnt his offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded to ride to the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering, and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering, with a burnt offering of all the people of the land, and their meat offering and their drink offering, and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Uriah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases, removed the laver from off them, and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it, and put it upon the pavement of stones. And the covert for the Sabbath that they had built in the house, and the king's entry without, turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his stead. What a horrible, horrible action. He goes to Damascus. He said, wow, that's a beautiful altar. That's a beautiful thing. My, I love to have that there. And he patterns and fashions this altar and builds it back home. 
He's using God's supplies from God's house. And the building and the giving to Assyria. What an awful thing. I find it amazing today that many quote-unquote churches are wanting their churches to look like nightclubs. The dark lights and the lights and all this stuff and darken it and just have a spot light up front. Man, we need light. I don't want this church to look like I'm walking into a bar or a nightclub or anywhere else. I want church to be a holy place with light and honoring and serving the Lord. We ought, I mean, church is God's house and God's worship and, and we want everything we do to continue to look to God and how wonderful He is. In Christian ministries today, someone sees something out there in the world and they want to fit it into the church to imitate the world. If the world doesn't give me answers and the world doesn't give me peace and the world doesn't give me the joy, the world doesn't give me an assurance of salvation, why would I want the world's methods? We're going to the world to make it fit into the church to draw people in with worldly methods. I don't want to use worldly methods to draw people in. We want to use God's methods and God's word and the preaching of the gospel and, and the kindness of, and the love of Christians reaching people so that when they're coming, they're saying, this place is different than the world. What Ahaz was doing was making a nation wherein David and, and his, his predecessors, his forefathers, had taken what was for God and he's now lightly esteeming it and giving it away as if it's no worth, much like Esau did with his birthright. Oh, you can have it for a bowl of pottage. A.W. Tozer would write about churches today. He said, aside from a few of the grosser sins, the sins of the unregenerated world are now approved by a shocking number of professedly born-again Christians and copied eagerly. Young Christians take as their models the rankest kind of worldlings and try to be as much like them as possible. Religious leaders have adopted the techniques of the advertisers boasting, baiting, and shameless exaggeration are now carried on as normal procedure in church work, the moral climate is not that of the New Testament, but that of Hollywood and Broadway. We want all the lights, the smoke, the show, the entertainment. Because it draws crowds and we say that's of God. My friend, if there's going to be, God tells us he wants to build his church, and I understand you're like, Pastor, this church is small. I know, but it's our responsibility to reach the world. But just because we're small doesn't mean I'm going to compromise. Uh, now, uh, there's different ways and programs and reaching people. I understand. I'm not against those. God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants obedience. Look with me at 1 Samuel 15. Why would you say, why does God not want sacrifice? It's not, not what he commands. But look with me at this passage of Scripture. God makes it very abundantly clear. God's not wanting music that will sound, you know, if you take away the Christian words, that music that sounds like the world. I mean, I remember working at a fast food restaurant. I've used this analogy many a time over. 
and uh, we had music that was categorized as Christian music, and uh, then the company came down, this fast food restaurant, Chick-fil-A, they came down and said, we, we want instrumental music, you can't use the stuff with the words anymore, they removed the words, and then the very same customers who were liking the music are no longer no like, not liking the music because the words are dismissed. The melody is still the same. The beat that attaches to your heart, it's still the same. There's a difference. There's much more, and I'm not going down that path, but I'm just saying there is a difference between holiness and holy things of God. Separation. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken means to attentively listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. King Saul. Rebellion. Disobedience. And I, I try to talk with my daughter about this. I said, listen, daddy loves you, mommy loves you, and we want you to do right. But I understand when you are wanting to disobey, you are choosing Satan to follow rather than God. It's witchcraft. Witchcraft is the very thing of I can live as I please. That's witchcraft. Because the, the issue is Adam and Eve in the garden chose to be as gods rather than no, loving God. Witchcraft is you can do as you want. And I spoke about this uh, two weeks ago. Stubbornness. A child that refuses to obey or seeks to do it their own way is following in the steps of Satan, and they need correcting. There's discipline that is needed. In 2 Chronicles 28, 23, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice them, that they may help me, but they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So here is the king of Israel deciding to follow the, the gods of Syria, thinking they'll help him only to be destroyed. If you go back to the story of Eli's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire. God was supposed to light the fire there in the tabernacle. But they lit the fire. It's a strange fire. The religious novelties today in churches excite and entertain people, but they don't edify the church and they don't exalt Jesus Christ. We are trying to mimic the fire of God by our own fire and then calling it of God. It's strange fire. The sanctuary for many can become a theater. Uh, worship becomes entertainment. Minister becomes performance and congregations become an audience. Replacing God's altar with a pagan altar. That is just the beginning. And King Ahaz remodels. He needed precious metals, and so he takes them from God's house. His own royal entry there in his palace, in the temple, to build things for this altar. The king would have never made all these changes without the cooperation of Uriah the high priest. There's two things here. When King Uzziah 
wanted to do wrong. Thankfully, he had a high priest and 80 men who would withstand him. They would stand against him and say, King Uzziah, you are not to offer incense or any offerings on this altar. It is only for the priests. Those are all the only people that can be doing these sacrifices at this time. He said, no, I'm going to do it. He got angry with him. He proceeded to do the altar, and God made him leprous. And there he was smitten, and he was removed. Not smitten, but he was removed from kingship. He was removed out of, out of uh, Israel, out of Ju- uh, Judah, excuse me. He lost his position. In this position here, King Ahaz asked the high priest, and the high priest goes along with it. Compromise. Ahaz not only removes the altar, he replaces the furnishings. In 1 Corinthians, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. I'll have to end here on these several things here in just a couple minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, and then we'll turn over to Galatians. something I've been thinking a lot, and in light of today's message, we'll be in uh, Revelation chapter 12 uh, for the morning service, but <clears throat> Satan's desire, he's okay, with, he likes, he's okay with religion. He's okay if you want to talk about God. He's okay if you want to talk about Jesus as long as you don't come to the cross. He's okay if you talk about Jesus as another prophet. He's okay with that. But if you're going to make Jesus the only way, he's going to fight tooth and nail against that truth. Because he doesn't want you coming to God for salvation and becoming God's child. He wants to keep you as his child. So he's okay with all other ways. There is, if you want to think about it, in Satan's economy, in Satan's thinking, there is freedom. There's not freedom. There's only bondage. But there is freedom. There's a million different ways. Whatever you want to do, you can do. But in God's way, there's one way that is right. There's one way that is to be all that you were made to be. Does it matter what I believe? Does it matter the doctrines that I hold to? And I say, yes. Because look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, a little bit of yeast in a batch of dough is going to cause that dough to rise. A little bit. It's not very much that is required in dough. I mean, just a a teaspoon or a tablespoon or something small will cause that bread to rise, that dough to rise. Leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. Just to, and, and here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the church of Corinth has a man who's a member of their church who's sleeping with his dad's wife, the stepmom. A disgusting thing. But he's saying we ought not 
to just say, oh, well, okay, so-and-so is not really walking with God, but there ought to be a correction, and they end up going forward in church discipline of this individual saying, listen, you are going a wrong direction. And church discipline is not a thing of shunning. It is a thing of saying, hey, brother or sister, we love you. We want you to do right. We want God's best for your life. And hey, can we come alongside you and help get you out of that? And then after a time of trying to work with that individual and talking with them and, and, and trying to minister to them, if they continue to reject the truth and reject and reject and reject and reject, then you come to a point in time, you say, hey, uh, I'm going to bring some more people to talk with me, and they still reject you. And then if they reject that, you bring it before the church, and then the church says, listen, we are going to remove them from membership. We're going to hand them over unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's what Scripture tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That church discipline is to the, deliver them unto Satan that they would have such calamity and troubles in their lives to bring them to their face to repent and get right and then rejoin that church fellowship. It's a corrective discipline. It is not, we don't like you or we have anything against you. It is a loving means of bringing that person to a realization that they are sinning against God and His church. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Let's look at verse uh, 6 of Galatians 5. We're going through the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights. It's been a wonderful study. And a verse by verse through this. But to Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Jesus Christ... Neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which cometh by lo- uh, which worketh by love. And uh, he's saying it doesn't matter if you're physically circumcised or not. It is faith which makes you a child of God. Verse seven of, uh, of Galatians five: Ye did run well; who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. He's saying, listen, you need to live your life by truth. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A bad apple in a team of people can make a team that is absolutely miserable to be a part of. A bad apple, someone with a sour, critical, nagging, moaning, complaining attitude can ruin a teamwork, can destroy a workplace, can destroy a family, can destroy a church just a little. You say, well, it's just a little off. Now, I understand there is time for people to spiritually grow, and I understand that. There was a guy one time I was ministering to at the church. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. I began to sit down with him. I went through the scripture. I said, no, Jesus is God. I showed him the scripture. He's like, oh, Jesus is God. I said, okay. So there was some room for growth. You show them truth, they receive it. Just because he was saying, I'm like, you heretic, I never want to deal with you. Well, <laughs> we need time to grow. Okay, there's times where we just don't know things, and then there's other times where we willfully know or we willfully are ignorant of, that's a different case. I'm choosing to reject truth. And what the unbelief and unfaithfulness of King Ahaz did created great compromise, damage to the kingdom of Judah and some of his own sons, you know, some of which his own son would be able to repair. But nevertheless, Ahaz much, much damage upon the nation. 
I've mentioned before, I listened to the audiobook of, uh, it's called Bibi by Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister. And uh, he's been a prime minister many times over and, and for many, many years. Uh, had a very long record. He was a special forces. And he said, I was so glad that Christians there in, in, in the book, he was talking about the United States, but they're in the Western world that are all, they're pro-Israel, but they're not evangelizing. He said they're not, they don't want to be a part of, you know, they're for Israel, but they're not about pushing the Bible. My friend, that's a horrible indictment against believers. We are pro-Israel because the Bible is pro-Israel, but I'm also pro-Israel's repentance, and I'm also pro-world's repentance, because that is where our victory and our peace, uh, it lies. And so may we as Christians, the tale of two kingdoms, uh, Judah was a wicked place. Next week we'll talk about Israel as a captive nation. What a very, very sad story these are. And what we see unfolding in our world today is very, it's again a repeat of history. If we don't learn from history, we're bound to repeat history. The very truth. And I trust, Christian, we would take much consideration and heed to the Word of God to realize, hey, Am I living my life the way God wants me to live it? Because if I'm not, then I'm choosing rebellion, and there will come consequences. And I understand Jesus is loving. I understand that, and I'm so thankful for that. He is forgiving when I make mistakes. Amen on that as well. But my friend, there are consequences to a choice to deny the truth. And we who have the truth of God's word are held more accountable and I trust we take that accountability, that responsibility, and do all that God's called us to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield this morning to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you, Lord, that, Father, you work in our lives to bring us to the place of brokenness. Lord, some of the struggles and challenges we've had in our lives, Lord, because we've had a wrong focus. Lord, because we've been idolatrous, we've been rebellious, Father, I want to thank you for loving us so much to continue to try to correct us, to bring us back into the light of Christ, into that sweet, sweet fellowship. And Lord, as we come to the morning hour, I pray that you'd be lifted up and glorified. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for being our great and wonderful Savior. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you here at 11.